hey, you're looking fantastic. If I could see you with the lights, but anyway. The, but yeah, you're looking fantastic. You look so much better than the camera on my iPhone. Okay, so we, we are having family church, so you can head out if you're part of that. So that's, that's really cool. God bless you all. May he speak into your service powerfully as well. So during lockdown, I started work on my next book in the, in the first couple of weeks of lockdown. And it's going to be a book about leading yourself. And if you're going to lead others well, you need to learn how to lead yourself well. And if you're not going to lead others, well, it's actually really helpful to learn how to lead yourself well too. One of the areas we need to learn to lead ourselves well in is dealing with and coping with problems. Isn't that true? And I once heard it said that we're either going into a problem, in the middle of a problem, or on our way out of a problem. Either way, we're never too far from some problem. And the changing world that we're in at present is a reminder that difficult times are never too far away. And as John said last week, being a Christian does not make us immune to going through difficult times. And we shouldn't be surprised by them. And if you, if you watched my last talk online, I gave the analogy that when we're in the middle of a serious problem, it can feel like we are in the middle of a desert, wondering if we'll survive or not. And I asked the question, when you feel like you're in a desert, how do you want to come out? Do you want to come out crawling, barely surviving, or would you rather come out racing in an awesome off-road racer? I know which I'd prefer. You see, we get to influence how coming out of the desert looks. We get to influence our attitude. And there are things we can do that will help us come out of a desert full of hope and joy and energy instead of feeling defeated, exhausted, and angry. And last, last message, I looked at Jacob in Genesis 32 and considered the importance of positioning ourselves I said that there are two camps we can choose to be in. We can choose the camp of relying on our own strength and scheming our own answers, but this camp is full of fear and doubt and anxiety. Or we can choose to position ourselves in God's camp, trusting him for bringing solutions from heaven to our troubles and relying on his strength. And positioning ourselves in God's camp is only the starting point. Being positioned doesn't mean doing nothing. It doesn't mean we just sit back and assume that God is going to fix everything. There is a lot more that we should consider if we're going to come out of our deserts racing rather than crawling. And that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. So I want us to consider another story in the Bible today when one of the heroes of the Old Testament found themselves in a desert. And this is looking at Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you have your Bible, you might want to follow along, but it will be up on the screen. And so I want to reiterate the first point again, which is positioning ourselves, making sure that we're positioned, choosing to be in the place of trusting God. And let's read the first few verses from, from chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword, which is talking about the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel, who, who was Ahab's wife, queen of Israel, 
sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Next slide. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. A quick bit of background to this story. Elijah was seemingly at the top of his game before this happened. He had raised the dead. He had controlled weather. He had turned a nation back to God, and you can read about it in the previous two chapters. And I don't know about you, but I reckon if I'd done just one of those things, I'd be feeling pretty good. I'd be thinking, God is using me powerfully. God and me, we're unstoppable. Bring on your worst world. There's a servant of God here. But you see, success isn't security. Our identity isn't our success. At the point of Elijah's greatest success, all it took was a message, a whisper, a thought, and Elijah's world came crashing down around him. Fear overtook him. And it always seems to come back to fear. You know, it isn't usually our circumstances that limit us and drain us. It is our fear of our circumstances that cause that limitation. And how often do we find it isn't a circumstance but the threat of it that traps us? It's so easy to be afraid of something that might not happen and we can even lose sleep over it. And accordingly, when we're doing that, we might take ourselves out of God's camp and start, trying to, start fretting and trying to scheme up our own solutions. But there is a tension that exists between fear and wisdom. Wisdom says, don't walk off the edge of a cliff. Fear says, I don't care how much safety gear you put on me, I am not climbing down that cliff. Wisdom says, uh, with the COVID risk, practice good hygiene, social distancing, and, and those sorts of things. Fear says, I'm not going to connect with people anymore, even when there is no community transmission. Yet fear is very real. And I think sometimes we try to shun our negative emotions, but f emotions like fear, guilt, and anger are powerful emotions that God gave us so that we know when something is wrong and needs to be fixed. That there is a problem that needs to be solved. You know, there are many, the history is littered with businesses that have failed because they didn't solve problems well. They didn't recognize change. You know, most problems come because of change. The, uh, a few years ago, one of, the, one of the buzzwords around business was, was the word being agile, so that we can be flexible and shift. Today, the buzzword is pivot, so that we actually take what we're doing and we pivot to change direction as circumstances and problems cause us to do it. And, and the same can apply for us. It's, you know, problems mean that there's a situation or there's opportunity to, for us to pivot, to be agile, to learn and grow. 
But it, and when it comes to being positioned, sometimes when I'm facing difficulty, all I can do is say, Jesus, I trust you and hang on. But this is where being positioned in God's camp is just a start point. We are putting ourselves in the right place for a work of God to begin. So let's think about the second thing, and that is provision. And if we go from verse 4 to verse 7 in 1 Kings 19. So we carry on. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed. We've read that. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Once Elijah had positioned himself, himself, he rested, he ate, he drank. In other words, he took on provision. He didn't neglect his physical well-being. Admittedly, he had an angel to help him. But he still went back to the very basics of food, of sleep, food, and drink. And when problems are really bad, it is easy to throw out our normal routine because of the stress and change that takes place. During lockdown, did you keep getting up at the normal time? Did you keep your normal eating habits? Or maybe did you let them slip? Going back to making sure our basic living habits are right helps us keep perspective. Occasionally one of my staff will ring me or come and see me severely agitated about some disaster that is about to happen or is actually happening. They are stressed, they're worried, they're angry. They can struggle to hold it together. At these times, the very first thing I tell my staff to do is breathe. Just focus on breathing. And it's amazing how that little exercise will calm people down. Once they come down somewhat, I then ask them, are you still breathing? Which, of course, they'll say yes. And I said, okay, so that's good. It's not that bad then. Where there's life, there's hope. I then start working with my staff member on finding a solution to the problem that's agitating them. And normally you start off by saying one of our company values, which is every problem is an opportunity to make something better. I did, I did some resilience training a few years ago, and during the workshop, the facilitator took one of the class members who volunteered and connected her up to a machine that measures stress. They then subjected her to some, a whole lot of emotional stress by saying all sorts of things to her. Remember, she did volunteer. She knew what she was getting into. And we could see, all the, we could see the stress indicator ramping right up through the levels of stress as, as this was going on. The facilitator then taught us some simple breathing techniques and, subjected, uh, and after that he subjected the test subject to similar types of emotional stress. This time there's only a really small movement on the stress indicator. Good breathing technique is something we can all learn and helps us bring us back to basics. Everyone just take a nice big deep breath. Then uh, breathe it out nice and slow. 
and then just hold it without breathing back in. Then no, take another deep breath. Ah, don't you feel more relaxed now? <laughs> now, no one fall asleep during the talk, please. The facilitator also talked about the importance of good regular sleep patterns, good nutrition and good exercise habits for building resilience into our lives. Sleep being by far the most important. And today, I I almost never sleep in. I'm generally always up at 6 in the morning, unless I'm exercising and then I'm up at 5. But these are examples of simple, basic things anyone can do But being disciplined in these areas will help us to do more than cope, and whatever life throws at us, it will help us to be ready for the next step. You know, I I turned the word breathe into an acrostic to help me to remember some of the basic things that I just can't forget when I'm getting really deep into stressful, difficult situations. And the the letter B is for Bible. Always remember to keep my Bible reading up and, and just seeing what God's saying to me through his word. And do that daily. R is for rest. Get up and go to bed at the same time each day, getting good rest. E is to eat. Eat healthy food and keep a regular meal pattern going. A is for appeal. Keep talking to God about what's going on, about what I need help with, saying that I'm trusting him. T is for thankfulness, which is incredibly, uh, an incredibly powerful tool. Keep thanking God, even in the middle of the situation. H is for help, and arrange and get any help that I might need, any advice that I might need in the difficult situation. And E is for exercise, keep maintaining a good exercise pattern. And it is easy to forget to breathe when we're under stress, when actually we need to remember to get back to basics. And Elijah did this. He... he, got his sleep, he got his food, he got his drink, he made sure he's getting provision. But also for Elijah, going back to basics, was opening his heart to God and being honest. And so often pride gets in the way of being honest about what we're going through. Being prepared for the next step requires openness and honesty with God. Then the third one is preparation. And we read here in, from verse 8, So he got up, which is Elijah, and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Elijah journeyed. This wasn't a come to the front, receive a two-minute prayer, and go home a changed person time. Now, I highly value prayer and ministry, and I've, I've been blessed to see a lot of people significantly impacted as I've helped to facilitate Jesus to meet their needs. So I'm not saying that that's not important, but it is part of the process, and it's not the whole remedy, usually, when you're in a difficult situation. Elijah took 40 days to travel just over 400 kilometers. So if you can do basic maths, you realize that that is about 10 kilometers per day. Now, Elijah was fit. He walked for a living. He didn't have a car or a motorbike or a pushbike. He walked. He was fit. Ten kilometers a day was not hard for him. Admittedly, the terrain he was walking over wasn't easy, 
But I suspect that he had a lot of time each day to sit and ponder and think. Part of the journey. And this was a story of grit. It was a story of determination and perseverance. A story of keeping the course, doing what was needed to find an answer. And how often do we give up? We expect an answer now or maybe in five days or I might stretch to ten days and we get frustrated at the delay. But there is a preparation that takes place in a journey that you don't get any other way. Don't be surprised that it takes a while for your emotional roller coaster to flatten out when you start a journey of preparation. Now, are you still looking for peace? If you haven't received your answer yet, then perhaps you're still on your journey. Don't give up. Guess what? You're a day closer to receiving your answer today than you were yesterday. And scholars believe that Mount Horeb was the same mountain Moses received the Ten Commandments on, and that the cave Elijah arrived in may have been the same cave that God had Moses in as he walked past. And part of Elijah's journey was to go back to covenant, to strip everything else away, to, take, to go back to what was true for the nation. And this was where the nation of Israel chose to follow God. And when life is easy, we tend to, we tend to build up so much fluff around us. We start doing many things which actually don't actually add value to the call of God on our lives. Difficulty can strip away the excess baggage. And many of us have found during lockdown that some of the things we used to spend money or spend time doing weren't quite as important as we thought they were. And the same can occur spiritually. As we journey, journey during these times, we start to remember God, God's promises and focus back on his truth more. We start stripping away things that had just become religious and come back to our relationship with Jesus. And I would suggest that when you find someone who appears to have a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus, you will most likely find someone who has journeyed through many difficult times. You know, don't rush the, don't rush the journey. God's timing is perfect. Fourth is presence. We read from verse 9. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied. Uh, Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, God is masterful at helping us discover what is at the core of our fear about a problem. 
You see, it isn't the problem that is the problem so much as it is our belief about the problem that is usually the problem. I don't know if I can. (laughs) You see, it isn't the problem that is usually the problem. It is our belief about the problem that is usually the problem. When I'm on a mountain bike uh, ride and doing a downhill track, there are jumps and drop-offs I won't do because I, I, I got into mountain biking at a slightly older age and I just don't have the skill to land them well. And in fact, I would probably come off and create some serious carnage to myself. Although I am trying to learn to manual, which is a technique, and doing small gap jumps. But anyway, we'll see where that goes. If, I, if I've got broken bones again, you'll discover it didn't go well. However, there are also some gnarly downhill sections, which I hoped I could have videoed, but weather um, went against me, that my skill level is quite capable of handling. And sometimes when I come across a new one, I'll end up walking them, not because I physically can't ride them, but because fear taints my belief. So I don't ride them. Consequently, I end up missing out on an enjoyable shot of adrenaline. But once... Hey, Mike. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> Sorry about that, my friend. Once I overcame my fear and attempt the downhill, I'm usually fine from then on. I've been able to shift my belief because of my experience. And the same is true when we're in the middle of a problem. It's our beliefs which affect how we go through and come out of the problem. It is our beliefs. And Elijah had a fundamental belief problem. He believed he was the only person God could use to fix the country and turn it back to God. He was afraid that if Jezebel killed him, no one would be left to fight for God. And we see this in his first response to God's question. And I like to think that when Elijah answered the question the first time, he is trying to justify himself. You know, he's trying to say, God, I've been zealous. The Israelites have rejected you and your covenant. They've done all this stuff, and now they're trying to kill me. And why shouldn't I feel so bad about myself? Why shouldn't I be so depressed at the moment? Because I'm the only one left to do what you want done. What's going to happen if, that, if they kill me? Now, in the previous chapter... Elijah had a similar thing, uh, said a similar thing to the people of Israel. That when he was on the top of Mount Carmel, he told them that he was the only one left following God. And this was clearly untrue. And Elijah had been made aware that that was untrue beforehand. Only a few verses previously, Obadiah, who was a follower of God, had met him and said that he had hidden 150 of the Lord's prophets. So here was at least 152 people, at least, still following God. Elijah was clearly believing a lie. He thought he was the only one to left, he thought he was the only one left to carry out God's will. This wrong belief was the cause of his fear and what empowered the problem to have control over him. 
Can you think of a time when you've been facing a problem and thought, I am the only one who can solve this? Now, for driven people, that's common thinking. And this type of thinking can cause high levels of stress and fear and certainly doesn't fill us with hope and energy. And the wrong beliefs we have drain us instead of empower us. And Elijah needed to shift his thinking. And when we're in the middle of, the, of a desert, usually we need to shift our thinking too. We need to shift our beliefs. You know, sometimes we think the answer is in the miraculous, the power, the quick fix. And sometimes it is. But I find that most of the time, when I'm in the desert, God doesn't seem to be in a rush or in the same rush that I'm in. God's focus doesn't appear to be on the problem, but actually it appears to be on my character. And scholars have, thought, have many thoughts about what the wind and the earthquake and the fire might have meant in this story. Um, perhaps Elijah came to the cave thinking, God doing something powerful like wiping out all of Israel with, with um, wind and flame and, and earthquakes. And starting again was the, was the solution. Perhaps Elijah was initially focusing on a quick fix to the problem. Perhaps he was thinking, I've done this and I've done that. I've fasted 40 days. God, you owe me a quick fix to my problem so I don't need to be afraid anymore. A quick fix wouldn't have done anything for shifting Elijah's thinking and building his character. Perhaps God was showing Elijah his power and letting the unasked question just sit there. Elijah, does this work for you? Elijah didn't discover peace. He didn't discover hope. He didn't discover God and the power. He found it for that situation void and empty of answers for what he needed. But then... It was the presence of God that undid Elijah. The gentle whisper, encompassing, penetrating, revealing, intimate touch of God's presence that completely opened Elijah up to receive what he needed. You know, over the years of my faith, God has spoken to me many times in many ways for many situations. And actually, most of those times, I can't remember. However, the times God spoke to me in the middle of my difficulty in this way, with quietness and assurance, and opened me up in the process, I can remember every one of those. Those times are life-changing. When God reaches us in this way, we are changed. We are no longer crawling out of the desert defeated. We are coming out of our deserts in victory. A transformation has taken place that makes everything new. And receiving this type of transformation, receiving this uh, input from God that brings the change, that actually shifts our thinking, shifts our beliefs and works on our character is how we don't waste a problem. And finally, purpose. Um, so God, when Elijah uh, has God say this to him? The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Malahot to succeed you as prophet. 
Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. Elijah was ready now for God to speak truth to him. I like to think that this time when Elijah was asked, what are you doing here? He was no longer trying to justify himself, but he was being honest about his fear with God. And Elijah gives God the same answer to the same question, but I believe with a completely different attitude. I believe he is no longer trying... It's all right, let's get to the next bit. There's a story, now there's a story about King David in 2 Samuel chapter 24. David takes a census of the fighting men in Israel, which got God angry because in, in the law it said, basically God said, don't take a census of your fighting people. King David wanted to do that. And it was a sign that he was looking at his own ego, his own success, and, and not trusting God to win the victory. He is thinking, how powerful am I for beating my enemies by counting the number of fighting men? And, you know, God won victories for Israel with no one. There's a story when there's a siege around, around Jerusalem and uh, the poor, uh, and they were starving in, in, in Jerusalem and the, uh, some of the ones that you wouldn't credit went out and their whole army had, had gone, disappeared. So God was pretty upset at David for doing this. Uh, repentance is one of the really powerful tools that Christians have. When we turn away from the wrong things we're doing and we start doing right things, we break the power of the enemy. Repentance means that we change how we think, we change what we believe, and in so doing we start changing what we do. So in this story about King David, he repented. At least he said he was sorry to God for having taken the census. But in response to the sin, however, God sends a plague on the nation of Israel and wipes out 70,000 people with the plague. And, and then uh, King David realises that actually what he did was really wrong. And he goes and meets the avenging angel and, and really asks for a forgiveness. And you can see a whole deeper level of repentance taking place because he says, look, don't hurt the nation of Israel. It's my fault hurt me and my family. And there's a, just a whole deeper level of repentance taking place. And sometimes we need to accept that pain is required to fully understand the need for change. And this is what I believe happened with Elijah. Finally, he realized the need to change his belief, and so God spoke truth to him. And this is what God said, and this is my paraphrase. Actually, Elijah, I have 7,000 people I can use if you should die. Things are 7,000 times better for this nation than what you thought. And so Elijah was able to put his own life in right perspective. And with that, God was able to reset his purpose and point him in the right direction. God told Elijah to anoint three people to continue the mission of reviving the nation of Israel. Now consider this. In the natural, when Elijah left the cave, nothing had changed. The original problem still existed. Jezebel's threat was still stood. But Elijah's fear had gone. He no longer acted like he was crawling out of his desert. He entered the cave in fear. He left the cave with hope, purpose, and promise.
Even more interesting, the only person Elijah anointed is Elisha. Elisha's, Elijah's belief had changed that much that he no longer thinks he has to do it all. He trusts Elisha to finish the job. Now you may be in a desert today, and perhaps the band might want to come up. You may be in a desert day, or you may be in a desert next year. Whenever your next desert experience is, you can change how you come out of that desert. You can come out of it full of hope, full of energy, and full of joy. It starts with positioning yourself and putting yourself in God's camp, putting total trust in God's ability to take care of you. It requires provisioning yourself with your basic essentials and remembering to breathe, read the Bible, rest, eat, appeal to God, thankfulness, help, exercise. It needs preparation and journey to be ready to receive from God. Be patient. God's presence completes the process. God's presence transforms us. A word from God changes everything. And we are repurposed for doing the work God has for us again. Let's stand. It's a great message. Really good, but I believe we need to put it into practice this morning.